Blog Talk Radio. Where's that doorman? I've got this man on a payroll. I've got nothing out of him tonight. I don't know where he is. All right. But General once quarters. again. General Quarters. Uh, there he is. Security condition three. Security three, sir. General Quarters three. Intruder alert. GQ three. Intruder alert. Oh, you're going to think, Intruder. Don't, don't come in slow on a cue again. Hey, this is well, Madam Perry, and welcome once again to Madam Perry's Salon, the podcast with more celebrities than the inauguration. I am your host and cruise director, as I said, Madam Perry, or you can call me Jennifer Perry or J-Mod, as the Brits do, and I am just thrilled to be here once again. First of all, let me thank everyone, everyone who's listening, subscribing, downloading, sharing with your friends. Uh, The numbers are out of sight, and I'm able to continue getting great guests and sponsors, and it's only because of you, because you make this, you're helping this show to grow, and I want to thank you so much. Uh, We've had so much fun lately. Hey, last, if you were listening last night... You know, my guest was Ricky Bird, whom you may know. He's uh, played with everyone. We mostly he as as a rock and roll Hall of Fame inductee. He play, he was inducted with his band. Uh, well, the band he was in at the time, Joan Jett and the Black Hearts, and uh, Ricky Bird. Ricky Bird, uh, the guitarist, uh, singer, musician. He's also played with Ian Hunter. Uh, just about everybody that you know that's famous he's played with. But he's been sober for 30 years. He has a foundation called Clean Getaway, which is also the name of his new CD, uh, Clean Getaway. And um, he also has an offer. If you want to help help him raise money for the foundation, Clean Getaway, where he goes around the different uh, facilities that do where people with drug and alcohol dependency can get uh, rehabilitation support then he's got a special for you. For $25, you get the new CD and a special pick and a signed uh, 8x10 picture. And, and, of course, he will autograph personally the CD, all for 25 but you have to get it through PayPal, and I've got the social media for that and the connections, or connections, the contacts, the address, that's what it is, and on all of my social media. So Ricky Bird, and also we kind of quit in the middle last night, so Ricky is going to come back again for a part two. Also, later this month, we've got uh, Pat Dogans, and he is a NASA expert. He's also uh, an NPR uh, reporter and anchor, but he's covered more space missions than uh, probably any journalist that we know of and has written several books about it. And he's going to be here the last week of November, the last Monday of November, so I'm extremely excited about that, and I'll be sharing more about that too. Tonight, even better. Uh, 
this is a <laughs> this is a subject that a lot of people may have forgotten about, and some still know. I think the way I put it on Facebook and so forth today was, if you know what the words deck and cover refer to for some of us in elementary school, or if you've ever heard the expressions um, effete intellectuals or nattering nabobs of negativism <laughs> and uh, uh, a few other fun things like that, or remember when being called a communist was the greatest insult and sometimes the most dangerous uh, accusation you can make of a person, then you're going to enjoy this book. And even if not, this writer is fantastic. Uh, so I'm going to just bring him right in, introduce him to all of you, and I want you to welcome to Madame Perry's Salon, author Donald Stenson. Don, come on into Madame Perry's salon and get comfortable. Well, thank you, first Jennifer, time here, very just, much. Well, you're I'm quite welcome. I'm going to take that welcome. big pillow over there. I wish you would. Some of these things are new. I think, I don't know if I mentioned to you because I didn't want to frighten you, but I had a couple of suspense authors here one night um, on the same night, Rick Cornell and um, Brett Wright. Uh, Rick is an attorney in Reno, and Brett Wright, he's a teacher in Denver, but you know what? He's a retired uh, chief petty officer from the U.S. Navy, and yet the two of them smuggled in burritos and all kind of stuff like that and left them a big mess, <laughs> so we had, to have it re- we had to have it redecorated. You know, you never know who's going to be your troublemaker. And, you know, an attorney, I mean, come on. <laughs> I should have figured that before he even got in. But anyway, they're great guys, and, um, and I had them come in and clean the place out. But... I'm so glad you're here, and I want you to be comfortable because I want you to come back again and again. Your book, your brand-new book is called Downstairs at the White House, Story of a Teenager, an Oval Office, and a Ringside Seat to Watergate. Um, yes. And it's all about when you uh, were 17, sort of uh, accidentally landing a job at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And uh, during the worst political scandal, in American history, and people these days think they know what scandal is, but this was nothing. And you know, uh, I'm close. We're close to the same age, close enough to where I remember coming home and reading about this every day in, in the newspaper when I got home from school. Uh, they have no idea, and yet you write this book. <laughs> you write with such a great sense of humor. I have I found myself bookmarking it all the way through with expressions that I may bring in. And another great thing you do right in the beginning, and folks, just in case, whether you know about this, whether you remember it, or whether you're a student of history. And by the way, let me say, the, the date of publication on this book was what day? It was just well, been a officially, few weeks, right? Officially, it was November 1st. And yet you're already an Amazon bestseller in the category thanks. of president and head of state's biographies. Yes, thanks Thanks to a lot of wonderful not, readers. Not too shabby. Yeah, I bet you got to give them something good to read. And this is it. And thankfully, for even for those of us whose memories might have dimmed or for, for the people to whom this may be a brand new story, you very thoughtfully gave us a cast of characters in the beginning. <laughs> I did. And and some of them were more characters than others. <laughs> and you know, even back then there were people. There were some comedians like Vaughn Meder and uh, Lily Tomlin, who would incorporate mm-hmm. these peoples into, into into their uh, the people into their 
routines and their stuff, and right. uh, a lot of it, especially on the uh, the Laugh USA channel, which is clean humor, they play a lot of that. Uh, the Ernestine, the telephone operator, Lily Thomas, when she that. talks to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they still play that, and it still holds up. You know, if if you know even just a little bit about a history, it still holds up, and it's funny. So you you started into the story. Uh, you were talking about when. Now you skipped you skipped your senior year of high school. Am I, I right? I was very right. fortunate. Yes, I, I was very fortunate. Mm-hmm. There was a program at the time that allowed um, high school students to be able to apply to college at the end of their junior year, and. Um, so I did, and a friend of mine, who is one of the characters in the book, did the same thing, and we both ended up in Washington. And so part of this adventure involved him, because we had been best friends in high school, and um, so we, 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 we did some of these crazy things together. And then I ended up in the White House, and, and he did smart things like becoming a doctor. Which he is today. <laughs> okay. But you've remained friends all this time. And you apparently had many adventures, some that you can and cannot share. <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. If, there, if there are anything yeah. more, yeah, having, sometimes you can't share. Very until true. the statutes run out, but so forth. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> speaking as one who knows. So, um <laughs> So you end up at the White House at 17. Now, was this an internship, or how did you end up there? No, I was actually I was a regular member of the staff. And, and what happened was I had gone to Washington in the fall of 1972, um, which obviously was a presidential election year, and then President Nixon was running for re-election against uh, George McGovern, a senator from uh, South Dakota. Um, and I just kind of fell in. I didn't really have much of a political philosophy one way or the other. But I, I, I fell in with some of the folks who were doing some volunteer work at the, re-ele- the committee to reelect the president, which later um, became known as creep in the alliteration for committee to reelect the president um, and, and was referred to later on during Watergate. And I volunteered down there, and I got to know some people. And, and uh, my friend, who is uh, one of the characters in the book, Mark Edelman, uh, Mark and I both did some of that, that work. And then um, I was very interested in trying to get a, um, a job, an internship, or a regular kind of job on Capitol Hill and, uh, because I thought that was very cool and um, would add to my studies. And I got nothing but turndowns, just one after the next. And uh, it prepared me for a life later on in sales. So that was a good thing, I guess. <laughs> and one day I ran into a guy in my dorm. It just, you know, it just, I, I don't know, maybe we were shaving or something in the morning. And we got no conversation. And he said, you know I, know, I know you're looking for a job. And I've had one, and I, it doesn't really fit with my major or anything else. And I'm going to give it up. Would you be interested? And he gave me the name of some group or whatever, and I said, sure. Yeah, I mean, I certainly wasn't having any luck with anything else. So um, I ended up, and I was, it, it was a month before my 18th birthday, um, going down to this big gray building in downtown Washington with him, um, which I, I had no idea what it was. Um, I was, I was, 
I don't know if I could call myself, it would be um, flattering, I guess, to call myself naive. I think I was just stupid. <laughs> and I, I, really, I really didn't recognize where I was headed. And um, so I spent a day there or whatever. And then um, I, I, he, he, I kind of followed him around and got a, a sense for it. And then I ended up being hired. And I worked for a group that was called the Council on International Economic Policy that was located in the old executive office building, which is at the corner of 17th Street and Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington and is part of the White House complex. But I had no idea. So I got hired, and this is one of the stories that I've, I've I told my children over the years who still think this is one of the funniest that they like to use this um, to, to get me is that I, I was given an assignment. I was just a clerk. I mean, I, I, it was a part-time job to start with, a clerk and a messenger. And um, I was given a job to clean out an office that somebody had left. And so I'm working on it. And I open up one of the drawers. And in the drawer, and I describe this in the book, in the drawer is some stationery. And the stationery says, the White House, Washington, in blue ink and beautiful <laughs> paper. And I went, oh, my God. And there was this very nice lady that was across the hall. Actually, she was in an office that um, was, it was the same space where the Japanese had come to speak with uh, the Secretary of State on December 7, 1941, uh, while the Japanese were bombing Pearl Harbor um, and had, had come to the White House uh, to express uh, hopes for peace and everything else and, and basically had just lied to the, to the Secretary of State. It was right in that spot. So I, I walked across the hall, and I went to her, and she was lovely. And, and I said, I said, you're not going to believe this. But what? in this guy's drawer is, is this White House stationery. And she was a, a, a wonderful person because she could have gone, boy, you must be the biggest moron I've ever met. But instead, she very nicely explained to me where I was working and that this was – this building was part of the White House complex. So that's how I started off, um, and I had to do all sorts of things, including uh, get a, a full field uh, investigation um, from the FBI, and because uh, uh, in some cases I was carrying um, sensitive materials and I was going to be around various people and things like that. And um, so that's, that's, that's kind of how I started. It wasn't an internship. I never had one. Um, but I, I remained there as a as a paid employee. Um, I was somewhere in the scheme of things in rank. I was somewhere below um, Lint. Um, so I, I I was right at the very bottom of the barrel. But you know that was a it was a plus, Jennifer. And one of the reasons it was a plus was because I could do a lot of things that uh, other people may not have been because people weren't really inspecting me all that often because I was so low on the totem pole. So I got to wander around and, and do a lot of things. So that was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. It was a great start. I really enjoyed it. And it's interesting too when you start to describe uh, the people, a lot of the people in the White House. And also when you talk about going to a place that you didn't know where the building you were at and stuff, a lot of people 
the adults don't realize that back then if you said that, you really meant that. It's not like you could just pull out a device and, and push a button or an app and find out exactly where you were and where you were going. And you know, and no. you really had no idea. If you were lost, you were lost. And if you didn't recognize something, that was it. And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> you were lost. And also, too, a lot of things were different. Um, in the White House, you talk about, I mean, there were people... Uh, you describe a woman sitting in one office when she's got the big orange hair and, uh, you know, an ashtray full of <laughs> cigarette butts. And, and as she just kind of grunted and dismissed you because nobody was really concerned about, you know, customer service feedback or anything. That no, they really well. that was That was actually on Capitol Hill, and, and she scared the dickens out of me because she was smoking and she had a can of aerosol uh, hairspray that she was spraying at the same time, and I thought this is going to be a recreation of the Hindenburg right here. Boom! So I left. I got out of there. It was uh, it was awful. <laughs> is, is that the one? And I was trying to flip through to see if I, if I marked this in, in the book uh, that you described. It, it, listen, folks, if you think politics, a book about politics, is dull, you have no idea. First of all, I, I'm a history buff anyway, so I'm always fascinated, you know, with reading, you know, true true stories and 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 about history and so forth. But especially when it, well, your perspective, and, and that's what I love that you still have that fresh. Uh, uh, and it's a 17-year-old's perspective on this, you know, could, and yet you can kind of go in sort of like an outside looking in, you know, when you're uh, somewhat, I don't want to say marginalized, but when you're, you're, you're new, you weren't that supervised, so you're kind of like a, a participant observer almost, kind of an yeah. inside but outside looking in, so nobody would notice what you noticed like that, and uh so you saw a lot of things. And what was the one where you were reporting? I was trying so hard to find this. You described a woman having an, and it might have been the same one, having the expression of a, a <laughs> was it a bulldog that had just licked yeah. a cactus? Licking, yeah, <laughs> a licking urine off of a cactus plant. Well, you know, I couldn't yeah, figure not. out another way to be able to paint that picture. Uh, but that's kind of what she looked like. I ran into, I ran into, again, she wasn't in the White House. These were, that was somebody else on Capitol Hill. Um, but they, they were, you know, we, I, one of the great things, and I, and I, um, it's, it's one of the reasons I, I, I wrote the book. I started it actually as a, sort of a memoir to leave behind one day for, for my family because um, whether they wanted to or not, they heard these stories over the years. Um, but because there are things about, you know, taking risks and, and, Mm -hmm. and just opening up your eyes uh, as those of us, you know, who have been around for a while realize, you know, you just got to open up your eyes and look around the world and be willing to try things. And because I had that kind of encouragement from my parents, um, I, I was able to do that. I learned a lot. And I also saw a lot of hysterical things at the same time. So it was a benefit. <laughs> hysterical <Yeah>. and historical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <me>. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so first I thought, did, did, was it, did, I, did his accent change that much since he left? Oh, he did mean hysterical and 
sister. Okay, so uh, <laughs> by the way, if you're listening to us live tonight, the if you want to call in and talk to Donald Stinson, the number is six four six seven one six nine nine two two. And Blog Talk Radio assures me that this is a toll free call within the continental U.S. So six four six seven one six nine nine two two. Call in and talk with uh, me, and or especially just if you want to talk to Don Stenson now. So, um, sorry, I'm getting so excited about how much I enjoyed your writing, not just the book oh, thank you. and the subject and the way you tell the story that um, that <laughs> that I know I'm jumping around. So let me get back to where. Um, so let me ask you this: Although this starts happening uh, during, or like you're getting in there. And, and like I said, I may be jumping in ahead now, but during, during the Watergate um, situation. Right. So tell me what that was like leading up to it. Now, I remember you talking about, first you were describing like going to the inauguration. It was just this freezing mm-hmm. cold day. Um, and uh, Yeah, you know, it was one of the, again, one of those things uh, as a teenager um, and, and having, uh, and we, we were able to get, I'm sure because of clerical errors, um, my friends and I actually got tickets to some of these events. Um, I can't imagine anybody clerical actually errors. wanting us to go. I mean, I, <laughs> I can't imagine. But but we we you know um, but we but we uh, I, I, one of the things is I I had remembered very vividly watching presidential inaugurations as a child on black and white you know grainy black and white TV sets. And just to be standing there on the what was then the east side of the Capitol, where the inauguration was held, which faces the Library of Congress, uh, was uh, it, it was something as many things are to people in, in in your teenage years. It was bigger than life, and um, it was an it was an amazing thing. Now, there's a kind of an interesting story. It is much disputed, but I think that your listeners might enjoy it. Is that there was a Reason in, now today, um, the in, in, ever since uh, Ronald Reagan was sworn in 1981, um, the president faces west, and so that's the inauguration. The swearing in is done on the west side of the Capitol, which then faces the United States. But it, but at that time, it was it had been done on the east side of the Capitol. And the reason for that, according to a legend, and I cannot vouch for the accuracy of it, was because it faced England, and it gave the the new president an opportunity to give the finger to um, the royal family in in England. And um, so it's one of those things where I would hate for truth to get in the way of a good story, but I don't know if it's true or not, but it, but it it's 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 kind of a, a funny thing and the um but you know that day in particular um was uh it set what had been what later became the standard it was like the gold standard for demonstrators at a presidential inauguration um uh, there had never been as many um there may have been an equal crowd uh later on uh in the next 25, 30 years, but in that, on that day in 1973, um, th- there seemed to be in many ways more demonstrators, and m- most of them, um, it was still a demonstration, obviously, against the Vietnam War. Um, they were everywhere, and um, so those were, 
and and I don't, you know, you you sound at least 25 or 30 years younger than I am, so you wouldn't remember that. But um, I can; those were extremely tense times. This country has been through very divisive, very tough times before, and certainly Vietnam was one of them. And um, mm-hmm. there was occasional violence um, during those. There were lots of arrests and those kinds of things, and it marred some of the activities. And it was also it was meant to. Um, so, but we we struggled through those things in in the past. And um, I remember standing on one corner. Um, they said that they had more police uh, at this than had ever been at any presidential inauguration this one in 1973 and i remember standing next to a guy who was he had on an old army jacket dressed like most hippies did back in those days this guy stunk Mm -hmm. to high heaven i've never in my life ever smelled anything as bad as this guy and someone said that he must have just like bathed in rotten chicken i I, I, just to try to give you a sense for how bad that was and Later on, I, someone made the comment, and it may have been true, that he actually may have been a federal agent <laughs> so, to, to try to <laughs> inside the crowd to make sure you know people stayed off the parade route and things like that. Um, and and I, I don't know if he was or not, but but, but certainly could have been. So um, it was filled with lots of characters and lots of kinds of things. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it does. It, it certainly it, would it, work. It does make sense. And... Um, but, you know, one of the things that I enjoyed at that age, and, and as some people say I still do now at 62, is did a lot of dumb things. And um, one of them that happened before that, actually it was on election night in 1972, um, was I, I was looking, I, I was a volunteer. I, I did something very important, which was um, to direct people towards restrooms. And um, the... Uh, I ended up getting tired, and I wanted to find a place to sit down. And I sat next to these guys on some stairs in the Shoreham Hotel in Washington. And I looked at this one guy, and I kept going, I know you from someplace. And, and I turned to him, and I said, you know, you look familiar to me. And I guessed a couple of names, and he said, no, no, no. So finally he reaches out his hand, and he goes, he goes Don, nice to meet you. I'm Jim Brown. And for the people in the audience who <laughs> don't remember Jim Brown, Jim Brown was probably the single greatest football player ever in, in mm-hmm. the history of the world. But I didn't recognize – I, I kind of rec- – he was also a movie star. And I also – you know, I kind of recognized what I wasn't sure. And um, I, he, I, I said, did you, did you play ball at one time? And he actually said he had played lacrosse. And, and a little football and that kind of thing. Well, I got so aggravated because this guy is obviously lying to me that I just got up and I walked away. And so <laughs> 20 years later, I'm reading, I don't know how long ago, but it was probably 20 years later, I was reading this thing about Syracuse University Athletics. And in it, I read that Jim Brown was not only in the Hall of Fame for football, but also for lacrosse. So, um, <laughs> you know, I just <laughs> stumble over funny kind of people like that. But, um, yeah. That's but, one um, of my favorite, favorite stories in the book. If you, if you can hold just one <laughs> second there before we go further with that. And that's one of my favorites. Um, 
remember, if you want to call in and talk to Don Stenson, the number is 646-716-9922. And we do have a caller. And if I can see, I know it's a little dim in here, but uh, this is somebody who's, uh, uh, I think, has their own cushion right here in Madam Perry's salon. Come on in and talk with us. Oh, thank you so much. It's so great to be back. Uh, this is Andrea, California. Um, hi, Andrea. Andrea. <laughs> Glad well, I heard you coming you. on the show. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> can, you, um, <laughs> can you believe the story? <laughs> Telling Jim actually, Brown. Um, he gets up walks away from Jim Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> If there's honestly, Dawn, I gotta be honest. There's a lot of really implausible stuff going on. I've been researching this a little bit, and mm-hmm. um, you were involved during this, uh, you know, right before this whole Watergate thing blew up, and there you well, were rifling around in offices that nobody knows what you were doing in there. So what's up with that? <laughs> well, actually, um, I, you know. All of that went on really before I got involved in any of that stuff. I was a student, and I was a college freshman, and um, I did some minor volunteer work and those kinds of things. Uh, and the the Watergate investigation was already underway uh, by the time I went to work in the White House, which was mm. February of 1973. Um, mm-hmm. I. I got to know a number of the people. Well, you know, about as much as, as somebody who was as unimportant as I was got to know anyone. Uh, you know, some of the people who were involved in, in, in Watergate um, and, and would run into them from time to time before they, you know, either got fired or they left. Um, but, no, I, <laughs> I, I had nothing to do with all of that. I just got <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't have it. <laughs> Or so I say, That's right? No, no, I don't have any <laughs> stories about that kind of stuff. No. Yeah, because from the timing, it looks like as soon as you got there, everything went to hell in hand, Bowser. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> there are people who have said that all about a lot of things about me in life, that everything was fine until I showed up, you know, so yeah. maybe, you know. But uh, now you know. Uh, no, okay. I didn't. All right. Excuse me. As, as the host here, <laughs> right. I, I'm a little confused because you know, Andrea, you're saying what I was thinking. But I didn't want to say, and yet, Don, you're telling another story. Because that was back before there was like a everybody had a uh, some kind of a Google glasses that could record a conversation. There were no security cameras, and just just to get be clear, um, Don. Yes. You want to tell this little story here about you meeting a man? Oh, what was his name? I think it was. Uh, you were supposed to bring something, some drinks back for a fellow named Don Kendall. Yes, I did. Um, this was another one of my more brilliant <laughs> yes, moves. Yes, I did. Um, and I, I, I was, I, I'd grown up in Atlanta, you know, the, the home of Coca-Cola, and so I just need to tell you that on background. And uh, the, the gentleman whose staff I was on. Um, was in charge of international economic policy. Um, and he, so there were lots of interesting people who would come in to see him from time to time, some of whom I recognized, others I, I didn't. And um, one day I w- was flagged down by his, uh, uh, they were called secretaries in that day, assistant today, much better term. Um, flag down, and she mm-hmm. she was very upset, and she and she handed me some change, and she said, "Go down to the 
we, I mean, we had vending machines there, and she said, go down to the vending machines and get <laughs> two Pepsis. And so I said, okay. And so I go down to the machine, I put the money in, and nothing comes out. I guess it was empty. And I, I probably beat the thing, I don't know. But it, nothing happened. <laughs> but the Coke button worked. So I bought two Cokes, and I came right back upstairs. And I, I and she was such a wonderful woman, and I was so sorry to do this to her. I handed her these two Cokes and immediately watched the blood drain out of her face. <laughs> and I had no idea why. And I remember very clearly she had a silver tray and, you know, an ice bucket oh, no. and glasses and the whole thing. And she she said to me, Don, you wait right here. And she she went into the office, um, and the next thing I hear is this laughter. Because, I mean, she had poured the drink. She didn't have the cans with her at the time. She had poured the drink. But I hear this, this mm. laughter. And the door opens, and it's Mr. Flanagan, who's the assistant to the president. And... Uh, he said, hey, Don, come in here a second. So I went in. Oh, my God. He said, I want to introduce you to this guy, and his name was Don, too. So I figured, you know, hey, that, that, that was nice. I could remember his name. And uh, he said, I got to, he said, this is, this, is, this is Mr. Kendall, Don Kendall, and he's the chairman of PepsiCo, the company that makes PepsiCo. And, and Mr. Kendall who was also a very gracious fellow, said, I just have to I've got to ask you a question. Why did you get Cokes instead of Pepsi's? I said, well, the machine was broken. And then I said, even, even worse, because Jennifer may remember back in the 80s when they used to have the mm-hmm. Coke-Pepsi challenge. And, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, and, and I said, well, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm from Atlanta. I mean, we all drink Cokes down there and everything. Well, he just, oh, yeah. he just hollered. He just, they just laughed. Like hell. And one of the great things was is that they were both such gentlemen. I mean, under I, I knew a lot of people over the years as, as I moved up in the business ranks who would have fired people over that. I mean, I just I didn't know. And they were just very nice. And um, what I got in the mail, I don't know, if a week or later or something like that, was a whole stack of um, coupons for Pepsis and a very nice note from Mr. Kendall. Saying that you know, better come over on this side, son, and you know, try these. And and so I've been a Pepsi drinker ever since. Um, but he, but uh, yeah, that was that was that was kind of an ignominious moment. But the um, uh, you know, but those were the those were the kinds of things I did. Not taping anybody. I didn't do those kinds of things. I I, 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 made, I, made, I made dumb mistakes. Um, and then after that. Not too long after that, then I went to work for Vice President Agnew on the career decision that that would just kind of be cool because he was down around the oh hall. Oh, my gosh. And I was very attracted. Again, you know, I was just a kid. And now, by now, I was an old man at 18. And um, <laughs> I never forget the, the vice presidential seal over the door and the flags. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And... One day I was, I stumble into lots of things. This has happened my entire life. And um, I end up literally knocking over a guy who was at a water fountain filling up a coffee, um, the percolator. And oh, I, my God. 
Well, turned out that he happened to be one of Vice President's speechwriters, and we actually got to be and we got to be friends. And I actually and I ended up getting a job working for Vice President Agnew up on the top floor of the ELB. And this is this is about I don't know about a year less than that before I actually ended up working in the White House proper. But I, I worked up in this area where we did correspondence work which was very interesting and it was very weird because people would weird. send in all sorts of strange stuff. Um, there, I remember one day getting, um, well, I, I, tell us, I'll tell you this part of the story. I mean, well, one day, you have, it's, it's a lot to go into for the book, but there was a family and they were in the Midwest who were very concerned that they had been cranially wired by Martians. And the, the mother had sent in uh, hats for, I guess, for the vice president to wear that were made of aluminum foil. And, and the whole thing, because if you wore these, they wouldn't come in. But it's worth reading the story because it was a very – it's much more involved than that. <laughs> it's, and it, it was this whole thing about the, 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 the aliens worked at the local grocery stores and the whole thing. And um, I believed it for a while. Then I said, nah, it's probably not true. <laughs> but, just, but, but one day I had a very weird thing happen, and that was uh, I opened up a thing that was it was a, it was a garbage bag that was stapled, and it was addressed to Spiro... Uh, like S P E E R O, which was misspelling Agnew A G N double O, and it just said Washington D C, and it had a million stamps on it. And and I guess I guess at that time you could mail garbage, um, and maybe you still can. And I opened this thing up, and I looked in it, and there were things in there that were very disturbing. And um, I, that I that I write about, but I, won't, I wouldn't I won't go into it in here. But they were very disturbing. And so okay. what I did, and it was a very interesting day, is that I ended up taking him down to the Secret Service. And the Vice Presidential Protective Division was down probably on the second floor where the Vice President's office was. And I went in there that day and uh, gave it to one of the agents, who you know, <laughs> they, those guys they've seen everything. So. To me, this was like a matter of immediate national security. To them, it was like, okay, it's another nut that sent something in. And, um, but I, I, I think, as I recall, I, I got a cup of coffee or something when I was there. I stole food all the time. And, I, and, then, and I said something to one of the gentlemen there. And the next thing I know, an agent who I had gotten to know turns to me and he said, Hey, idiot, do you realize who that is? And I said, no. And he goes, that's Clint Hill. Now, Clint Hill, to, to me, um, there is no one who has ever been a greater American hero than Clint Hill. And a lot of people, they don't know who he is, but if they are interested in, in history, um, they've seen a picture of a man who jumped on top of President Kennedy's limousine on November 22, 1963, a moving, from a moving vehicle 
on top to oh um, if, if had he not done that um, after the shots had been fired, Mrs. Kennedy might very well have tumbled into the street. I mean, it, it, it was just this horrible oh thing. Oh my gosh! And it, it just—he was an incredible, incredible guy, and um, uh, still is. He's still alive, and, and and he's an author. I highly recommend his books. He writes wonderful things. Uh, I mean, they're just very incisive and, and uh, mind-blowing mind in many ways. But I, that was one moment where I had stumbled into something that was one of the highlights of my life. And that kind of went along with that. Again, in the thing of if you stay open to enough things, you, you get to have interesting experiences in life. I ended up getting to know two people, Clint Hill, um, who was then, he was an assistant director of the Secret Service. And the guy who had just been the Secretary of the Treasury, named John Connolly, who had been the governor of Texas, he was the one who was shot with what they called the magic bullet. Right. Um, and so I had gotten to know, and I'm not real well, but I'd gotten you know to know him enough to, to be nodded at, I guess, you know, two guys who were in that car in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. And that was, um, if, if you lived at that time, I mean, that was, that was, that, that's still, it's among the worst things that could ever possibly happen. And um, obviously it's been studied 92 ways to Sunday. And, um, and I got to meet and chat with both of those guys from time to time. So um, they were very, very, very interesting. But um, I worked for uh, Vice President Agnew right until the day that he resigned, and um, and then ended up temporarily sort of unemployed. But um, we we had a moment where um, we were all called uh, to told to be at his. Uh, it, there was a, there was a scandal in, involved, uh, unfortunately, with him, and um, we were called to his conference room at. I don't know, it was 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon um, on October the 10th, 1973, and no one knew what was going on. All of a sudden, the door just blew open, and in came um, a the military aide to the vice president, who was a general, um, who just took papers, and he threw them down at the top of the table, and he said, our leader has resigned his high office and turned around and walked out. And that sent reverberations throughout the country. Um, that, that the vice president resigned. But I do have another odd little story that goes along with that, if you'd like. Um, sure. The, the, the night before, and I, this, I, I swear that this is true, I had a dream about a woman who, she actually worked for a guy uh, who was just terrific name, uh, who, who was Bob Hope's nephew. Um. On, and worked on, on the vice president's staff. And she was his assistant. And I had this dream in which I looked at her, and her mouth was just wide open. And, and then that was the end of the dream, and I woke up and whatever and went on to work. So that day, um, I ended up standing next to her, believe it or not, in that room. And when she came in and said that he had resigned, I saw that look. Right, her mouth opened just as it did in my dream. Oh my! So um, maybe I, the Martians I, I, sent you a message. 
You know, it's quite possible. It really, the Martians could have done that indeed. No doubt about it. But my prescience with things like that does not unfortunately extend to like the racetrack, the stock market, anything Mm. of any real value. So you can't win them all. Yeah, me and you both, brother. (laughs) (laughs) If you just... If you just clocked in, we're listening. We're talking with Don Stenson uh, about his book, Downstairs at the White House. Story of a teenager in Oval Office and a ringside seat to Watergate. Also here with me is uh, is my pal, Andrea Robinson from California. She's holding up the West Coast for me, and we both got mm-hmm. Don in here. We're trying to see what is the truth. What is, uh, is, is, he really, is he really pulling our leg, too, or is he responsible for more than he's uh, <laughs> claiming now that 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 the years have gone by and there's no way you can prove a doggone thing. There's so many more things I want to ask, <laughs> talk to you about too while I've got you here. Oh, I have and, papers. Uh, I, I, you know, <laughs> oh, so, I come with uh, papers. I can prove I was also, there. I mean, you know. I <laughs> uh-huh. All right. And so, what um, about the goats? <laughs> yeah. What, what does that mean? I, like emplo- hey, employment papers. Huh? The goat that you fought with on the airplane? Oh, that's a on whole other part of my life. Yeah. Um, okay. See, I, I've been doing my research on you, but that's you, okay. We can save that really for another have. time. But you, you know, I, almost everything yeah, know embarrassing about me at this point. It's, uh, um, wow. No, that well, was, well, yeah, that was twenty something years later when I was in the newspaper business and I was oh, doing some okay. work in, in <laughs> the old, what was the old Soviet Union. All right. Yes, I did wrestle a goat. I guess that'll be and the next goat one. Let's, on an airplane. Yeah. Well, I'll be done. Go ahead. Just was it United? What, what, what was this? Oh, Aeroflot. What, what? What? No, no, Aeroflot. Um, where, where actually they did, you had chickens, goats, along with the passengers. There was no FAA in Russia. Okay. Quite a ways right. away from so, the White House. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and before we go further, if you want to talk to Don Stinson, the number is 646-716-9922. Now, I've got to get into some questions here with you about, um, and, and his book has only been out two weeks, and it's already an Amazon bestseller. Uh, so we, we still want to talk to you about uh, Watergate, what it was like going on in the White House during Watergate. I want to know what it was like to talk to President Nixon um, and, and what he was like, Pat Nixon, what she was like in person. And you know the thing is when you talk about mm-hmm. – uh, in the beginning of your book about you know Vietnam and Brez, uh, uh, Brezhnev and people like that, you know people don't realize mm-hmm. back then. And I'm closer, I'm closer to you and I are closer to being the same age than, than I normally admit, Don. But <laughs> that was a big deal back then because yes, you know was. there was back before there was all these things. People would mimeograph something and pass it around, and it went around in my little neighborhood in Southeast Atlanta that that Khrushchev said, "I will, I will reach you. I will own your country. I will do it through your children." And everybody had those things on their refrigerators and stuff. And I remember in the eighth grade, the high school that I went to, they wanted some people to take this Chinese language class so that they wouldn't lose the teacher because they didn't have enough mm-hmm. people sign up for it. So they sent home letters to people that were good in English. My parents got the letter. They, they figured if we were good in English, we'd be good in Chinese. Where that correlated, I don't know. <laughs> so they sent that home. And my parents were convinced ever since then that I was a card-carrying member of the, of the Communist Party, and every now and then I'd come home, my room would be totally torn apart looking for communists, some signs that I was a, that I was a red. And they just they <laughs> never got over. <laughs> I could have been a card-carrying communist if, I, if, I, if you had offered me money to. 
but Andrea, you better you better check in on Jennifer here. She you yeah, never I'm know. I'm to take some notes here. This is another side to Jennifer I never knew before. Oh my gosh! Listen, maybe it's a good thing the Martian sent you to let me know. No, that's right. The, the Martian sent me. That's right. Bear in mind, my brother was one of the biggest dope dealers in the neighborhood. Not to mention in his scout group was Mark David Chapman, who killed Lynn. Wow. One of the two men. Oh, one of the no. two white men that'll never be out of prison. Or Mark David. You've heard me say this before, Andrea. Mark David Chapman mm-hmm. and uh, Charles Manson, the only two white men that you know will never get out of prison because they killed Lennon <laughs> and the most beautiful white woman, okay? So, yes, yeah, he was in the neighborhood too, but no, I oh. was the one that was going to bring down the government. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So tell us about, <laughs> but tell us, tell us more about, tell us about being there during Watergate. Talk about Nixon. Did you talk to Nixon? Did you talk to Pat Nixon, what yep. they were like? I mean, you worked for Agnew, but tell us about the Nixons. Well, after I, I they got us jobs, and I, I did a stint, um, like really fast at, at at what was then the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, where that's a whole other story. I had to resign in order to get paid, so I was only there for I don't know thirty days or or something like that. And then I got hired back in the White House as a messenger, which was like the best job ever. And I was in the <laughs> East Wing, um, and so I, I, I tell just a couple quick stories about. Um, Mrs. Nixon and President Nixon, who um, were, I think, mo- much different than they have been portrayed in in many ways. Um, first, M- Mrs. Nixon was um, as classy and as kind a person as I have ever met. Um, by accident one day, uh, and, I, and I wrote about this, I mistook her for a maid in the residence because... <laughs> She oh, had a God. scarf on her head, and it was dark on a rainy day. And she said a, a term that, that uh, she used, uh, kind of an old term, kiddo. And she, you know, I, again, there weren't that many people that worked there, so people, you know, kind of recognized one another at least. And she said something to me like, hi, kiddo. And I said, hi, kiddo, back. Well, that got back to somebody on the first lady staff who, who said, how dare you? do anything like that. And at that time, actually, I, I had had a temporary job working in the first lady's press office. And I thought, okay, that's it. I'm going to get fired. I mean, all this other stuff I'd done, I'd spilled water on, on Frank Sinatra. I'd done all this other crazy stuff. But now, now this is it. And in, and what happened is one day the, the, the lovely lady who was the uh, first lady's press secretary says to me, Come, come in my office. And, and I went in and I figured, okay, that's it. And she's on the phone and she hands me the phone. And the, I, oh, I'd written, a, I forgot, I'd written a letter of apology to Mrs. Nixon for saying that, calling her kiddo, because that was just not you know, done. And she, she wanted to talk to me and she said, you know, that was so nice. You didn't have to write a letter or anything like that, but that was just the nicest thing. And we just had this nice chat and, and I guess she was just upstairs or whatever, but but we just had this really nice chat. And at the end, she went, okay, see you later, kiddo. <laughs> and, um, she was just, just incredibly lovely. And every time I would run into her, um, she'd ask me about my how my mom and my dad were. She would – she actually – she made you feel like you were somebody. And um, – Incredibly kind. President Nixon, who had been made out to be as very cold and aloof, I found him to be 
different than that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of shy mm. in a way. Um, I've been mm. fortunate in meeting other presidents over the years, and and he was much different than any of the others that I I, I had met or, or or chatted with. In that, he was very intense, and I remember. I, I can put it this way: I have never in my life since ever met anybody, and I use this word, with the kind of voltage that I felt from President Nixon. I mean, he, despite Watergate, mm-hmm. he was brilliant. Mm-hmm. He was absolutely brilliant. And um, yeah. we, we ended up, he, the reason we ended up talk, talking is because he was a big fan of Theodore Roosevelt. So was I. I was carrying a book um, about Teddy Roosevelt, and he stopped me one morning, because I used to figure out a way to go down that what's called the West Colonnade, as he was going to the Oval Office and I was going to the East Wing to go to work so I could say good morning, Mr. President. And he, um, and he stopped me that one day and we had that chat. He also, on another occasion, tried to point out to me that my, um, I, I, he, they were getting on, on, on Marine One to fly off somewhere, and, I, and after that was over, I took a step and tripped and fell over and realized that at one point President Nixon had been pointing to me, trying to tell me that my shoelaces were untied. <laughs> so, um, you know, but 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 anyway, but they were they were very nice people. I was there also with the, the Fords, who were incredibly nice as well. Um, hmm. Different. Okay. Hold on, before um, you go, because nice. I want I want to know. Don, I want to know the rest of this, but before we go any further, if, yeah, remember, you've only got about several more minutes to talk to Don Stenson, oh, the number okay. 646-716-9922. And guess what? Somebody else has stepped in here. It's a little dim, I know, I know, but it's part of the ambiance. It's to make you feel uninhibited <laughs> when you're speaking about these important government things that you did. And I'm um, about to uh, – so come on. And, you know, I've always read that, that uh, Nixon was one of the great legal minds. He had just a remarkable legal mind, and yet even Dick Cavett, who you know kind of bantered and sparred with him over the years, even said you know approached him sometimes and said, you know he could be very very shy, um, mm-hmm. in public, very just you know, pretty much one on one. But but if you could just Andrea, would you reach over and just sort of open the uh, open the little beaded curtains, please, for me? Oh sure, uh, hi, no welcome. problem. Come on into thanks, thanks, son. Come on into Madam Perry's salon and have a seat. Who, me? Hello? Yes, yes, Hello? You. Oh, hi. Yes, you do. Hi. <laughs> Don't be shy. Oh, I'm Yeah, you're my friend. Yeah, hi. Who do we have here? And is he hey. sitting on my burritos? <laughs> well, oh, I would never sit on burritos. <laughs> I know I left him in here somewhere. Talk about a great somewhere. legal mind. Is this <laughs> Talk about the greatest legal mind and and opera singer in in Reno, Nevada, Rick. Mm-hmm. Come on well, in, Rick get is, comfortable. I, wow. Is he here too? Oh wait, this is not Rick. This is Brett. This is Brett. Brett yeah, Wright. Rick. I don't know where he's at. Brett I left Wright. him singing somewhere. Brett. Yeah, he was okay, he was Brett, standing in line at the taco me. truck, and uh, I, I said, <laughs> "Hey, you know, I hear there's this guy who likes looking, who likes hanging out like." Uh, Outside Oval Offices and stuff, and oh my God, I'd really love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Don, Don, just to clarify, yeah, this is Brett sure. Wright, yes, retired Chief Petty Officer from the U.S. Navy and Burrito. Yeah. And a pleasure to meet you. So, 
good to meet you too. Hi. <laughs> so I don't come in here and, and cause too much trouble trouble usually, although I understand she's still steam cleaning from the last time. So take that with whatever yeah, yeah. grain of salt you would like. <laughs> so I came so I came in late. What sort of trouble are we in? And can I cause some? Okay. Okay, so far Always he's already gotten called down for Let's see, he, he, he poured water on Frank Sinatra, he dissed right. uh, Jim Brown, and didn't believe that Jim Brown was, in fact, Jim Brown, and walked away from mm-hmm. him uh, there. And, uh, oh, my God, how do you even miss Jim Brown? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, I have a million goes, embarrassing yeah, stories. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else he uh, oh called Pat Nixon kiddo and had and uh, but he wrote her a nice letter because he mistook her for a maid when she was wearing a scarf and um, but she was very gracious to him before and after that and what are we up to now um, we were talking we were well, up there talking about Nixon and and oh go on and then I've got another question oh oh and oh and the no, oh, uh, uh, Brett. Brett, yes. and when he was asked to get some Pepsis for the for the uh, head of the guy, uh, the chairman of PepsiCo, although he didn't know that's where he was, he brought Cokes because he was at one time a very fine citizen of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, <laughs> and because uh, the Pepsis uh, wouldn't come out of the machine. The Pepsis wouldn't come out of the machine, though. So, so basically, yeah, they all had so a jolly basically laugh. Basically, the, the biography here would be called My Life in the City of Faux Pas. There you go. You know, that's an excellent title. Okay. I mean, steal that and use it as a subtitle. Um, if, if anyone could make a fall pie, it was me. That's for sure. Um, oh, see, okay, I so live that, about so I, 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 I feel you. <laughs> I mean, I, I can tell you well, one thing I, in, in what time we have, if you'd like, about the day that President Nixon resigned. Absolutely. And, yes. And and what happened? Um, the, uh, the 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 first thing, briefly, and, and again, I wrote about this, is that it was very eerie because the place seemed as if nothing had happened at all. And the night before, we had had um, uh, well, actually, the night before, a friend of mine and I had been in the press room when the president, after helping take some furniture out of the Oval Office. Uh, we were in the press room at the time the president was going to begin his speech to the nation to resign. My friend, uh, who was even a bigger smart aleck than I am, uh, said at about two seconds or so before the, it went on air, he said it's, he's not going to resign in a loud voice which then caused all sorts of TV lights and everything to go on because instead of our badges saying press, they said White House staff. And, and, and I had to keep I, – I, I remember Connie Chung was in my – she had a microphone. I'm going like, no, we're idiots. Okay, just go, no, we're idiots. But, but the next day, which was, which was very um, – it, it was – the day started as if nothing had changed. Um, I, I remember very vividly, and, and again, I write about it, is standing out on the lawn, and, and as you watch the helicopter take off and then fly um, out towards the Washington Monument and then turn towards Andrews Air Force Base, um, th- there, there was a, a, a funny thing and a somber thing. And the, fu- the funny thing was that there was a woman who, in a little group of friends, um, who said, 
he'll be back. And we say, like, what? And he goes, he's been through these things before. That helicopter is going to turn around and land, and he's going to catch the press blindsided, and he'll tell everybody that it, none of this was true, and he'll be right back in office. And, you know, you just kind of looked at her, and you go, wow, that's something, because that's never going to happen. Okay, <laughs> That is never <laughs> going to happen. And even weirder than that, um, because you kind of wondered where the hole was in her canoe, and um, that we no one knew who she was, and we never saw her again. <laughs> well, oh, maybe God. she was a Martian, Andrea. She could have been part of that group. But the somber thing that day that I remember very well was there's a, there was a, a briefcase, a large briefcase. And when um, President Nixon got on the helicopter, this briefcase that was carried by a military aide uh, did not go on the helicopter. And it was standing, the officer was standing behind Vice President Ford uh, because the president had actually signed his resignation at 11.35 in the morning, received at 11.35 in the morning. So the nuclear football that has all the nuclear codes, did not go with President Nixon, who flew to his home in California, but stayed behind with the vice president, who obviously then became president. And that, that was a very sobering thing to watch um, because it was, a, it was a very peaceful transition of power. And then with the ultimate power of destruction, um, staying behind with the guy who was now going to take on that mantle of responsibility. So uh, the, while there were many things that went on there over the time that I worked there that were very, very funny, um, there were also some things that were just it, very moving to watch and, and, and to see. And I, and I think in the end we could be very, despite what had happened, we could be very proud of ourselves as a country and as Americans for the way that we handled it. So, um, mm-hmm. but I really enjoyed, I had a great time, I had a great time there, and, um, when it, and, and you have to read uh, uh, about the book that showed up in my uh, little cubby hole in the East Wing one day that uh, had some amazing signatures in it. It's a document that, I, I don't know what happened to it, but it was absolutely amazing, and then I kind of ended the book with a cliffhanger about something that happened with me and with, with President Ford in, in November. Um, because wow. you, you never know if you'll have a, a chance to write a sequel. So, <laughs> well, let, let me ask you this, Don. Yes, ma'am. Well, well, I've got, well, I've got my great legal minds with me here and uh, my great um, two members of my organization – though they'll never admit that publicly, Andrea and, <laughs> and Brett. And if, I, if, you, if you don't mind, if, you, if, I could just, uh, if I could just have another five minutes of your time, we'll do a lightning round. There's a couple of things I want, even just a quick thing going through here. And remember, this book is called <laughs> Downstairs at the White House. It's a story of a teenager, an awful office, and a ringside seat to Watergate by Don Stenson. It's a fantastic book. In two weeks, it's become an Amazon bestseller. And uh, you can get a paperback. You can get it in Kindle. Actually, I've got... I, I've got it both because I wanted to keep it with me, even when I didn't have the book with me. Um, Thank you. So I went ahead and got it on Kindle. And I don't get the book. I don't get a book twice. Let me tell you that this is this is that good. Um, <laughs> although you graciously uh, gifted me, but uh, so I'm going to go with a real quick lightning round. And Andrea and Brett, if you have something you want to, a question you want to ask to, 
now's our time while we've got him here, while we get, might, might oh, get God. the story out Hubert of him. Uh, you write... <laughs> Hubert, oh, okay. Yeah. Hubert Humphrey. I mean, okay, so I was, a, I was a little guy. I was maybe 10 years old when this happened. And suddenly, you know, I'm in my dad's, I'm in my dad's <clears> garage, and he has the tricky dicky, um, you know, the poster up in, his, up in his garage. And he comes mm-hmm. and he says, well, he disappeared. Who knows where he's going? What did he do? Did he step out for pizza? Or, I mean, whatever happened to that guy? Hubert Humphrey? Vice President Humphrey? Or Sparrow Agnew. I'm, I'm thinking Sparrow oh, Agnew. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, Sparrow um, Agnew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After, yeah. Sorry about that. After, after he resigned, uh, he became um, an international business consultant and ended up living in Palm Springs, California. Um, he was very close with Frank Sinatra, and um, they lived out there uh, not too far from one another. And actually, I, oddly enough, I worked out there at one time. And, and, and so you had an opportunity to, to to kind of see what he was up to afterwards too. I mean, did did he ever talk about it? Uh, uh, you know, there there is it. You know, the funny thing about all, all this is that that there are you have. In particular, I was a kid when all of this went on. You have feelings about people that don't necessarily translate to the problems that they had. Um, you know, I knew them more as just people that were larger than life, and uh, we never had any conversation about any of that. But he um, he became very successful. I, I tried to get him to come to a party that we had at the newspaper there in Palm Springs. Unfortunately, that he, he he couldn't attend. My boss really wanted him to come, um, but um, but again, to me, they were very nice people, and um, you know, yeah. They, Everybody please what they want, but but he was he, he was very nice. A lot of the people that I worked with that he employed were some of the more brilliant people I've ever met. So um, he may very well had this had the issue of uh, the, the 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 problems that had been in Maryland. Had that never arose, he certainly probably would have become president uh, when Nixon resigned. And or may have been elected in his own right if that had never happened in, in '76. He was a leading candidate at that at that time before he mm-hmm. resigned. So, but they were very interesting. Awesome. Cool. Fantastic. D- Don, I'm going yes. to have to ask you. Can we? Could you make a return appearance with us here? And I'm going to tell you something cool. else. Every now and then. These two can attest. We have a sort of a roundtable discussion. We call it the unusual suspects. And Madam Perry Salon would also love for you to participate in one of those. With the sometime. I'd love to. I think we're That'd overdue, aren't we? Okay. All right. Oftentimes Great. it involves so, uh, adult drink. Drinks. I'm just saying. Okay, that sounds really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and snacks. And and sometimes, believe me, you never know. You absolutely never know who will show up, what they will say. You could have, uh, we could have some musicians, we could have uh, authors, we could have artists, cartoonists, we could have, uh, oh, Har- you know, Harvey J.K., historians like that, or we could have people just come in and say More than like, our uh, share of the nattering <laughs> nabobs of negativism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get that too. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, great. I'd love to come back. That would be terrific. special for you, Don. All right. And this is <laughs> – thank you, Andrea Robinson. Thank you, Brett Wright. <laughs> Thanks to everybody who's listened. And uh, this is Madam Perry once again saying I love you. And don't forget, everybody's got to swing and go get it. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.